Well, good morning, everyone. To those of you who are joining us online, good morning. Thanks for uh, taking some time to be with us here today. For those of you who are here in person, good morning as well. If you do have kids, and if you did not pick up one of the activity packs that's been prepared at the children's kiosk, please make sure you pick up one of those now if you'd like to. And also, if uh, you did not get a bulletin today, Um, I would encourage you to get one of those because there's going to be a picture in the bulletin uh, that I'll be referring to as well as some important verses as well. And uh, so if anyone needs one, do we have the ushers at the back? We do. If you would like a bulletin right now, could you just put your hand up if you uh, would like one? And no one wants one. Excellent. So that's very encouraging. (laughs) No, of course, if you would like one, feel free to go get one or or the ushers at the back will have, have some for you there. Well, today I want to start with a question that sometimes comes into our lives or has more prominence in our lives, and the question goes like this, what is God's will for your life? Or what is God's will for my life? This is a question that we ask ourselves, or what does God want you to do with the life that he has given you? And these questions show up at different times in our lives. Graduation season that we are entering into is certainly one of them. And after receiving congratulations for completing the certificate or the diploma or the the degree, the inevitable next question is, what are you going to do now? And we ask ourselves, what is God's will? Or what does God want me to do now? We can ask these questions when it comes to seeking a life mate. Does God call me to be single, to be married? And if he calls me to be married, where is this person that I'm supposed to marry? Which one am I supposed to marry? Or we might be in a relationship right now and we wonder about the future of that relationship in our lives. It's at a crossroads and we seek God's wisdom for what to do next. Or we can ask this question when we go through times of life transition. Maybe it's when you are moving out of your house, out of your parents' house, out of your childhood home, and you're asking, what is God's will? Maybe it's you have an opportunity to go to school or to take a job in a different city, and you wonder, is it God's will for me to go in that direction? Maybe we ask, what is God's will for my life now that all the kids are grown up? And that they're moving out of our house and maybe we're empty nesters and we're wondering. Or we find it harder to keep up at our current pace of life. So we wonder about transitioning to a lower stress life or to retirement. And as we age, we face questions like health challenges, aging issues, living arrangement questions. What is God's will? Well, friends... There's no simple answer to this question. God doesn't lay out a step-by-step plan that gives us a roadmap for the next 50 years of our lives. You're going to marry this person, or you're going to have this job, and you're going to move to that place, and you're going to have these kids, and here's how you're going to parent them. No, we don't get that. The Christian life involves a daily walk with God of talking with him and hearing from him. And he reveals next steps along the way. And we need to continually seek his will in the various situations of our lives. 
This is the journey of faith. So I do not have for you today three easy steps to discern God's will for your life. But I think I have something that can help us as we seek to walk with God and follow his ways. And our passage today can help us see some realities that we will all experience while we seek God's will and seek to follow his ways in our lives. For the Bible contains many accounts of people who have sought to follow God's way and it shares their testimony of what they experienced. And from those testimonies, we will see the realities of life that come with following God's way. And we will see this today in the life of the prophet Ezekiel. This book began with him seeing the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And he saw the Lord on his chariot throne held up by these fiery creatures called cherubim. And then we saw God call Ezekiel to prophetic ministry. And we noticed the many different ways that God was going to support Ezekiel in this difficult call upon his life. And now we near the end of the call narrative. And here we will see three realities that may come into our lives as we seek to follow the Lord. And maybe you'll find that you're experiencing one of these realities right now in your life. And it can help to know that if you're experiencing one of these realities, you're not abnormal. God's people have experienced these at different times in their lives as they have sought to follow his will. So we're going to look at these realities and then I'm going to give you a theology of persevering in following the Lord's call on your life. Because none of these realities that I'm going to talk about today are easy. They're hard things to face, yet they're part of following in God's way. So we need that motivation and that theology to persevere, and I'll give you those following our examination of this passage. So please find Ezekiel chapter 3 in your Bibles today or on your devices, and I'll be looking at verses 12 to 27 from our passage. Ezekiel 3 verses 12 to 27. This is Ezekiel narrating his encounter with God. So again, Ezekiel chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib, who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity 
but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin. And his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live. Because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Kabar Canal, and I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people, and I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So what realities might come into our lives as we seek to follow God's will. Well, the first reality is we will experience personal struggle. In verses 12 to 15, we see Ezekiel struggle with God's call upon his life. We see the conclusion of the initial vision in verses 12 and 13. God's chariot throne is on the move It sounds like this massive earthquake, but it's actually the wings of the living creatures flapping and the wheels of the chariot throne turning. And then the spirit takes Ezekiel back to the canal where we left or where he started in chapter 1, verse 4. But notice what it says about Ezekiel and his spirit in verse 14. The spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness. In the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. Well, why is Ezekiel bitter in his spirit? This sounds like one miserable guy. He's just seen this glorious vision of the Lord. Shouldn't he be full of praise? And and there are two possibilities to Ezekiel's bitterness for the reasons behind them. One is that he has clearly seen the rebellion of his people. He is identifying with God. He has seen the people from the Lord's perspective. And the Lord declared again and again that Israel was a rebellious house. And Ezekiel would need a hard forehead to deal with their rejection and taunts and look of dismay. So this could be a righteous bitterness that aligns with God's holiness. And Ezekiel is angry that his fellow exiles have rebelled against the Lord. But there's another possible reason which I think is more likely. And it is simply this. Ezekiel does not like this difficult call the Lord has placed upon him. 
This will be a huge imposition on Ezekiel's life. He will have to deliver a message of judgment to people he has suffered with. They have together gone through the trauma of exile. They have together set up their lives in this new foreign nation in which they are captives in a sense. They have together experienced this for five years and suddenly Ezekiel is commissioned to speak a hard word of judgment against them. And one commentator wonders if Ezekiel himself had a rebellious heart. For back in chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord says to Ezekiel, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you, be not rebellious like that rebellious house. And maybe Ezekiel struggles with this tough assignment from the Lord. And then he's brought back to the exiles in the village of Tel Abib, and he sits there overwhelmed for seven days. And maybe he's overwhelmed because he, a mere mortal, has just had this close encounter with the holy God of the universe. Or maybe he sits there overwhelmed because of the great difficulty of the call that he has just been received. Or maybe it's a combination of both. But clearly, Ezekiel is struggling because of the Lord's call on his life. And we will likely struggle when we discover that God's call on our lives includes hard realities. Think about the troubles and trials we may go through in our youth as we try to follow the Lord's call. In our marriages, in raising children, in losing a loved one. Maybe God's call, not maybe, always God's call will involve moving outside of our comfort zones. Maybe letting our kids move away as they follow God's call. Think about how we struggle when some unexpected, hard, life-changing reality becomes a part of our lives. And most people don't just adjust and keep going in 24 hours. A couple weeks ago, I was down in Wisconsin at the annual preaching seminar that I tried to attend, and I was talking with a young pastor there. And he's also young, newly married, a couple of years, and they have an infant. And he was sharing with me how an illness has come into their family that has brought significant life change for them. And he was sharing the frustration and the struggle that he was having in adjusting to this reality that is now part of their lives. And I love Ezekiel's honesty here. Sometimes we can think that the people in the Bible were super saints who just heard God's call and said, okay, I'm off to do whatever you want. But it seems like everyone struggled with God's call on their lives. Remember Moses and how he tried to argue God out of putting him forward as the deliverer of Israel? It happens again and again in the scriptures. And when this happens in our lives, the only way I know how to deal with something like this is first of all to come to the Lord with our struggles and be honest with him about them and then share them with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And be honest. And that's why we need one another to hold one another up when, the, when God's call upon our lives involves hard realities. So we struggle 
And we need his strength to adjust to what is happening and what is included. And then we see another reality that Ezekiel had to face. And this one also comes into the life of someone who is trying to follow God's call or God's will. Reality number two is we face heavy responsibility when we follow God's call. And verses 16 to 21 contain some terrifying verses for anyone in a shepherding or teaching role among God's people. God charged Ezekiel to faithfully deliver his word of warning to the people around him, to play the role of a watchman standing guard over his people by faithfully delivering the word that God gave to him. And yes, they had already suffered by being put into exile. They have been displaced. They now live in Tel Aviv, which is near Babylon. But God's judgment and call to repentance upon them is not yet done. In fact, Jerusalem still stands. The temple in Jerusalem still stands. And within seven years, the Babylonians are going to go back, lay siege to the city, and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And those who were living in exile may have thought, well, the worst is over. And we can one day return to Jerusalem, to the temple, to our homes, And we can also just keep going on living how we've been living, whether or not we're following the Lord. So Ezekiel is charged to faithfully deliver a word of warning to both the wicked and the righteous. And if he didn't, God would somehow hold him responsible. In verses 18 and 20, we have that terrifying phrase, if Ezekiel fails to warn the people, the Lord will require his blood at your hand. And let me tell you, friends, this is one of the most difficult callings of the pastoral ministry to deliver the hard parts of God's word. It is way more comfortable and tempting to withhold the hard parts of God's word. Yet we are charged to bring God's word faithfully and completely, so this is a heavy responsibility that God lays upon Ezekiel. But notice as well, we all have a responsibility to respond when God sends warnings to us. Notice that the Lord will even end the lives of some who continue in sin against him. Verse 18, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. And sometimes when it comes to sin and death, we only think about spiritual death. You know that verse, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. Sometimes it might include physical death. Sometimes it seems God decides to end people's lives because of their continuance in sin. And it it doesn't mean he sends them to hell necessarily. It means that he's going to stop their lives so that their influence of sin will stop. An example is Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, two early converts to the church. They lie about how much money they sold their land for. They, they lie, they give a, a lesser amount, and then they claim this is the whole price, and God ends their lives. And it seems like 1 John 5, 16 to 18 talks about this. These verses say, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin 
not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And this is talking about physical death. And it seems that God sometimes decides to end a person's life because of their continuance in sin. But whatever the specific nuance, the warning in both Ezekiel, Romans, and 1 John is beware of continuing in a sinful life. God may end it. Yet the overall emphasis of verses 16 to 21 is that the Lord's call on Ezekiel's life was to be Israel's watchman. He needed to stand guard by delivering God's word faithfully, and this was a very heavy responsibility. And when you and I follow God's call, we will face responsibilities, sometimes very heavy. And taking responsibility for your life can be hard. When we want to take the easier way out, when we want to pass off that responsibility to someone else, it's a heavy responsibility to raise kids, to have a significant responsibility at work or in a church or in some position of influence. We want to shy away, to give up. Yet remember, the Lord equips and empowers his people to carry out his call on their lives, on your life and my life. So following God's call on our lives will involve personal struggle. Following God's call will involve heavy responsibility at times. And reality number three, following God's call will include suffering. Verses 22 to 27 are very hard to interpret, whether they are literal or symbolic with all the things that are being talked about. One thing we know for sure, this is another vision where the glory of the Lord stands before him, according to verse 23, the glory of the Lord stood there in this valley where Ezekiel is taken. And the Lord informs Ezekiel that his call on Ezekiel's life is going to involve much more than him delivering a couple of messages. It's going to involve his entire life. It will involve his comfort, his body, his convenience, his reputation, and his family. The Lord will use Ezekiel himself as a sign for the Israelites. And he's going to do this first by shutting Ezekiel up, both physically and verbally. He commands Ezekiel first to shut himself up in his house. And then he talks about cords being placed upon him and binding him. So we don't know if those are literal cords that tie him up or if it's symbolic for him being bound or restricted to his house. And then the Lord says he will make Ezekiel mute in verse 26. So Ezekiel will be unable to speak to the Israelites. The Lord has just told him to speak and deliver a message. And all this adds up to personal suffering for Ezekiel. His activities will be restricted. He cannot go and come as he pleases, nor can he speak freely. And, and, and why would the Lord do this? Well, it seems he will do this to set up the people and Ezekiel for the moment 
when the Lord does want to speak through Ezekiel. So he's tasking Ezekiel to be a sign himself before the people of Israel. And this is where the drawing in the bulletin comes in. You'll see there in that drawing some pictures at the bottom portraying the signs that Ezekiel is commanded to perform here in this chapter and then through chapters 4 and 5. So here you see the middle picture has Ezekiel laying down on his side with cords over him, trying to portray maybe what's, what's talked about here in, in verses uh, 22 to 27. And then there's another picture of him building a, a siege work in Jerusalem. And another picture of him eating over a meal with a, a, an ugly face or a sad face or a, a blech face because... He's eating over excrement, which is to symbolize the terrible siege that is going to come to Jerusalem. And then there's another picture there of him slashing off his hair with a sword, which will symbolize the scattering of the Israelites that is coming. And all of these are sign acts. Sign acts and probably done without the ability to speak. So imagine you're living in Tel Aviv and you hear about this Ezekiel character and he's under house arrest, but then he does these strange things and he can't talk. And it goes on for a long time. He's also commissioned to lie on one side for 390 days and then to lie on another side for 40 days. So it goes on for a year or more. And you hear about this crazy prophet who does these weird things and he can't talk. Until... God is going to loose his tongue. So when Ezekiel talks, do you think people are going to be ready to listen? They'll know something is up. Yet all this required personal suffering on Ezekiel's part. God's prophet would suffer for his people. And isn't this the way of God? He raises up people to do his work and even bring a hard message. Yet he shows his love by having his servants suffer for the call or with the people. Think about Joseph suffering 13 years in slavery before being raised up as second in command in Egypt. Think about Jeremiah the prophet thrown into a well and sinking down waist deep in mud and being left there. Think about Jesus who left the glories of heaven to live among us to suffer and die so that we might have life. This is the way of God. We suffer as we follow Christ, whether it be persecution or mocking or exclusion because we're Christians or pain or oppression by the enemy or discouragement. We suffer. Yet the Lord suffers with us and heals us as we move forward. So following the call of God will involve struggles, responsibility, suffering. And when I got to the end of this, another question came to my mind. Why would anyone do that? If I said we have an opportunity that I really want you to sign up for, and in this opportunity you will struggle, you will face heavy responsibility, and you will suffer. How many of us would be running forward to take hold of that opportunity? We've got enough of it in our own lives. We don't need any more. 
So why follow God's call? And this is on the other side of the bulletin, if you're looking in its entirety. This is what I would call a theology, a simple theology of perseverance in following God's way. Number one, why follow God's call? Because God deeply loves us as his beloved children. 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Number two, God has our best in mind. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Number three, God will provide us with a glorious inheritance. There is great reward coming, Ephesians 1, 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Number four, turning away from God means turning away from hope and life. John 6, verses 66 to 69, after this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Number five, God's calling includes growing us in holiness and Christ-likeness. First Thessalonians 4, 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Or 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Number six, this journey sometimes involves struggle, responsibility, and hardship. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But then the good news of number seven, God helps us carry out his calling on our lives. 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So bring to him your struggles, your heavy responsibility, your suffering, because God is for you and God is at work for your good and God empowers and equips us to carry out his calling on our lives and so we need to ask for his help, strength and power to keep going. And we're going to do that now as we pray. And so I want to invite you at this moment if there's something going on in your life that you're, you're struggling with God's call maybe, there's a heavy responsibility that's weighing you down or you're going through a time of suffering, whatever it is right now, I want you to, to just mention that in your spirit to the Lord.
And now we're going to come to him with what we're thinking of right now. And Lord God, you know the struggles that are being thought about right now, those struggling with following your way and your call. Maybe they are going through a time of temptation, a time of confusion, time of frustration. You know, Lord. And lift up those who are facing some heavy responsibility right now and just don't know if they can keep going. And then there are many who are suffering, Lord. Many with the loss of a loved one or a very difficult situation in their lives or family or work or with someone that they they love. You know them all, Lord. And I pray that you will be, you will be our comfort, our strength, our help, our hope, our power, our peace, our fortress for whatever we're going through. And maybe there's some here today or watching online who have not been following you, Lord. They've been wandering, giving up, wandered far far away. Will you call them back? Call us back? For in you we have hope. And in you we have life. And we pray this in your strong and powerful name. Amen.